Welcome back into One Winning Pod. We are fast approaching Ravens training camp and the start of preseason, which is uh, pretty crazy to think about. Uh, you know, we're about halfway through July and starting to look right now at the roster and, you know, what are some changes that happened to it. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is looking at some players that, you know, we lost in this past offseason and looking at how the Ravens might replace them. You know, what, what players from last year might have slightly different roles than they did um, in previous seasons in order to uh, fill those roles. So uh, to talk about it uh, with us tonight, we have a, a very special guest on. Ken, you want to say hi? Hi, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ken. <laughs> uh, Ken McCusick of Film Study here. I'm glad you threw that in because I was going to throw that in real quick. Like, this is the Ken music. <laughs> the, the, yeah, just a random Ken. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, I, I think it's fair to say you are the Ken of, uh, of the Ravens community at this point. I don't know. I mean, the Barbie movie is coming out soon, but I thought people weren't talking about that. Ken Francis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's a throwback right there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we're definitely excited to come in and talk about um, these changing roles. And I think it first came up when Peter was doing an expectations show with you uh, about Marcus Peters or Marcus Williams, rather. Marcus. <laughs> yeah, that specific episode uh, was Marcus Williams. And yeah, yeah, Ken, I think if you remember, we got off to a little, little bit of a tangent talking there on not just Marcus Williams, but um, the one of the... the losses that the Ravens had this past offseason was uh, Chuck Clark uh, getting traded to the New York Jets. Um, unfortunately, won't be playing for the Jets this year due to injury. But yeah, you know, Chuck Clark, huge part of this defense over the past couple years, played nearly 100% of the snaps for this defense. And, you know, replacing a guy like that, of course, we drafted Hamilton and we've got Geno Stone back there. So you're looking at this and, you know, I, as we talked about, there is a little bit of a question there on exactly what the Ravens want to do. That they're going to put Stone in that strong safety role and kind of still leave Hamilton in kind of that uh, nickel uh, spot that they had him in last year, which he was kind of forced into due to injuries, um, or they put him more back in that traditional role that that they drafted him at. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at that as some. That, that's a really big question right now. What is it that the Ravens are going to do to? Um, to approach this first uh, year without Clark in, you know, over the past couple of years. So outstanding player Hamilton. So I think he's really the key to this whole thing is, is where will he play best? And I think that's the question the Ravens need to answer first is where can they make Kyle Hamilton a superstar? So if you, if you approach it from the standpoint of which player can they get on the field by putting Hamilton at the other spot, then you have a question of Geno Stone versus who else might be the 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 nickel, which is probably Pepe Williams. And you might be very tempted to say Stone over Williams based on last year's play. I think Stone came in and played very well for Marcus Williams. And Pepe Williams did not play particularly well uh, in his opportunities in the slot. Although I, I, you know, didn't kill his opportunities. The Ravens are certainly going to keep him, but but he uh, he didn't play as well as Stone did. But I think that's the wrong way to answer that question is just to, to, to look at that. You're looking at, at the minutia and, and letting the tail wag the dog, so to speak. I think it really has to come down to where can Kyle Hamilton be a superstar and his placement of him has to come first. You should have the, the least possible risk of him 
having you know Kemalai Correa, Michael Orr disease of moving around position to position and never never getting one role set. So I hope that's the way they decide it, and I hope they'll they'll figure what that spot is for Hamilton long term. It could be nickel, but I think it's more likely that they'll decide it's strong safety. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Ken. I, I think how I kind of look at that too is I think the having Hamilton is is kind of a unique situation here, right? Because because we think that he could be so good at either of these positions. I feel like that was probably a part of the Ravens draft strategy this year of not really going corner um, early on and really only picking up some guys at the tail end of the draft. Um, you know, I think because of that, like he can fill those two roles. The Ravens can probably find a configuration that is still with question marks. Like, I mean, there's a reason why we're talking about this position group kind of as a whole. The secondary is not the strongest that it's been, uh, particularly over like some of the the secondaries over the last couple of years where you have, you know, Marlon, you have Marcus, um, you can throw in like Brandon Carr in the mix. And, and a lot of those guys, like there, there have been a lot stronger secondaries, but that being said, Hamilton's biggest value, I think, is uh, flexibility and, you know, positional versatility. And so, yeah, I, I feel like that had to have been part of the formula here. But I, I agree. I, I, I would be excited, I think, if Pepe got significant snaps from the slot. Um, like you said, I, I don't think he had a great season last year. There are obviously some things that you'd want to have back. But I felt like if I look at the play that he had versus a guy like Jalen Armour Davis, I feel like Pepe showed some good things. I feel like he was generally sticky with his guys. I think he showed some ball skills. Um, you know, I think he made some, uh, some, some, some gambits, I guess, from time to time and failed, uh, which is, you know, obviously why his play wasn't that good. Um, but I felt like I saw enough that I'd be like, okay, I could see him taking on a role similar to last year, maybe adding a couple more snaps. Obviously, I'd like to have a guy better at that role, more solid, but I think he would be an, an interesting piece to kind of grow into over the next couple of years at that slot position. JAD is fairly far behind the others in terms of his just experience at cornerback and and where he is. He's still, you know, hands and feet almost. You can count his games that he's played at the college or pro level in terms of a cornerback. Shut down after the third game and some really bad play against New England. There was, you know, some injuries that went in there, but he could have been back and did come back for a special teams role in one game. Does, does not seem to me like he's even a guarantee to make the team. But on the other hand, I don't know. The Ravens are very – it's very unusual that they'll actually cut a player they draft in the fourth round in the second year. So we'll have to see how that how that works out. Pepe's in a similar position. He's just a little ahead of him on the depth chart. And because the Ravens have more outside corners than slot guys, Pepe has a has probably a better chance to derive that starting role. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great group of corners. And you look at it all the way down the list in terms of – Trayvon Mullen has a guaranteed contract, uh, so he's probably going to make the team. I, I would think it's not a huge loss; it's only about a million dollars if they if they don't keep him. But it's just it's it's not a sunk cost in the traditional sense that the four of us would think of it, because they have to actually replace him with a player who's making seven hundred thousand to a million dollars. So that money will actually be lost and you know double paid if they cut him. So they're probably not going to do that. And then they have other players like Worley is still around. Brandon Stevens could still move back to the outside. So Marcus Peters could be back. It's, I think that's a, a, something a lot of people are still hoping for. But they have other options. It's just it's uh, none of them are particularly great. And cornerback depth looks extremely weak right now. It's interesting how a few years of 
questionable drafting at the corner position has led to this. Never forget Sean Wade. I was very excited when we drafted him. And then he got traded away before he even really had a chance to show much, uh, even in, in preseason play. So then, you know, he was gone and that was no longer an option. I thought he could have been a slot option for us. Then you had Pepe, obviously, and, and JD last year who didn't really perform at a level that, you know, you felt comfortable playing them, uh, particularly at, I think that's the issue when we talk about this is like, this is a playoff Super Bowl aspirational team. Um, the base defense these days are, is the nickel. You really want to have a really good player in that slot uh, as a starter. Yeah. Stevens was the other guy who got drafted. He very questionable draft pick where he was picked. Um, True. And obviously it wasn't a, a, a great year for the draft for by a lot of people, saw a lot of people out for COVID and whatnot, but still, um, you know, he, they've also kind of messed him up a little bit by moving him around. So he's, he, he's already got Camelot Correa disease to a little bit. He played pretty well at the end of last year at corner. A lot of the grabbiness was early, got rid of some of the penalties. Fairly sticky player, does sometimes get beat at the top of the stem, but it, but I think, you know, still had a, the speed and the size certainly to play that position. And if you if you look at the Ravens cornerbacks and just how darn weak they are overall, I mean, right now it looks like Worley could be the third cornerback for this team. And, I, you know, I don't know that's, that's the way it's going to work out, but if Worley could be, then then you probably want players like Stevens sticking on the outside and not moving them back to safety. Mm. It's interesting that we're talking here about the depth, and you have to wonder. I, I, I think I do agree that, that the Ravens will try and put Hamilton in, in the strong safety role to start the year. That, that is where he was drafted to be. He's projected to be you know a, a phenomenal talent at that position. But we're, while we're talking about the lack of depth that we have, you do wonder if, you know, we're, we're looking like week four or five into the season and that position is a big, big weakness for this team. And, you know, you're giving up a lot of yards there. Are the Ravens tempted to move Hamilton back to that position where they did see him have success last year? Because you do, you, we do know Geno Stone, um, you know, played very solidly last year kind of by default is the best seventh round pick in Ravens history. Um, you do know that he is someone there that you can rely on while he does have his shortcomings as well. Um, but then, you know, we're also talking about is, would that be the best move for Hamilton? Like we're talking about how moving around some of these other young guys kind of stunted their growth a bit. It really feels like that's a move that we wouldn't really want to be forced into doing kind of, you know, have Hamilton, take on that responsibility of what he was drafted to be uh, as as soon and as often as as we can rather than having to move him around to kind of right the ship for lack of a better term they have done it with superstars in the past out of the positions marshall yonda being the big one finishing a season at left guard when he had an injury uh to his left shoulder and playing at right tackle uh, a year in 2010 when gaither went down and or had to move to left tackle so you know, they've been. It, it certainly has been done with star players, and there it's less of a problem, I think, in terms of. And I, th- I honestly believe it would be less of a problem with Hamilton. I'm just, I, I just want them to be cognizant of it because making him a superstar is is job one on this defense. He's probably the most important player on the entire defense, uh, in order in, in terms of variance of result for this year. So I don't think there's not as much variance with players like Roquan or Humphrey is what I'm basically saying. Um, 
Owe could be another one that 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 could be in that group. But Kyle Hamilton could be close to a defensive player of the year, or he could be a guy who all of a sudden he's playing safety and doesn't know what he's doing or or has problems with positioning or whatever it might be. Yeah, I do find it curious because my hunch is that the Ravens' disposition is going to be to get the best 11, you know, the case that you, you weren't looking for. Uh, looking for the best 11 to play most downs to have the most consistent defense. Because I, I'm, I'm wondering if the cost-benefit of the superstar level of Hamilton, like, can he be a superstar if your slot corner is getting peppered? Uh, you know, that's like kind of the question I think they might have going into the season. A legitimate question. And if, if he, uh, it does not have to be one role with Hamilton. If, if you think if the other team's in 12 personnel and you want to keep the nickel out there to cover it, Hamilton can move up to be opposite the tight end who is split and stone can be on the back end. And you can, you obviously defense changes seconds, so you can you can react to an offensive personnel group in that way. And then when they send out eleven, you want Hamilton back on the back end. You want Pepe Williams in for Stone on those cases. So if you you, you do have the option to to make these changes, but I, I would prefer something where the number of defensive backs dictates what you're doing with Kyle Hamilton. I think there's there's less chance of things going wrong if that's the case. I don't have a problem if if he's if with four defensive backs, he's on the back end and with five, he moves to a nickel roll. And that way he's, you're insured of, by the way, getting him on the field for every single snap, which that's very important because yeah. he really, he really needs to be out there as much as possible. Yeah. That's my hunch. I, honestly, I, I, if I had to guess right now, Hamilton will be, if there's four safety, if there's five nickel, that's just my hunch. Cause I honestly don't think that's, I, I personally think he can have equal impact um, doing that, but we'll see. It is cool how close to the line of scrimmage you can get. And I'm also curious if we're talking about changing uh, responsibilities with Chuck Clark no longer wearing the green dot and no longer like the safety, no longer wearing the green dot and going to Roquan, it almost can change where your safety is. Like they don't have to be as close to the line of scrimmage. I felt like Chuck had to be a little bit closer in for that reason. Yeah. He played on the back end, back end of plenty of cover two. So I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, the Ravens had had it called from free safety on a couple different occasions with Eric Weddle and long time ago with Eric Turner. So it's it's they have done that with free safeties before. It's not it's definitely not preferred. And they never tried it with Ed Reed. I mean, Ed Reed always, for one thing, was always playing with Ray Lewis. So it wasn't really an issue. But the one time that they took the dot, green dot away from Ray Lewis when he was actually healthy, they gave it to Jim Leonard, and he he was the guy for three games in the 2008 playoffs. Uh, Never really heard a good explanation for that, by the way. But uh, but it is typically it's a it's a strong safety is the is the probably the might be the most common place to have the green dot right now. But the Mike linebacker strong safety third is the will and fourth would be the free safety. And those are really the only positions that can have it. Moving on to a, another position at the moment, Justin Houston is a free agent. Uh, he's obviously on the team the past two years provided a huge veteran presence to a, a fairly young group of pass rushers. Like we're talking about Marcus Peters completely within the realm of possibility that he could resign with the Ravens. But right now we're under, we're operating under the assumption that he will not be there. And I think this is an interesting one to look at because like, like I alluded to, we signed Houston for his veteran presence and 
when you look at the pass rushes that are there, Bowser's a vet, of course. He's come. He had, uh, you know, not as good of a season as usual last year, but he was coming back from the injury, so that was expected. But we got a lot of questions with Odafe Owe and David Ojabo. Both of them have potential, obviously. They flashed a little bit, um, but still, you you look at that group and, and you still have questions about what that full potential is going to be. So it it will be interesting to see, will the Ravens just hold with these guys or are they going to bring in another vet? Um, if it's not Houston, I, I'll be honest, I don't know who else is out there uh, right now. I haven't kept close tabs on that. But yeah, seeing this group of guys go out there without having that vet guy that you can fall back on and who had given us, um, you know, some additional pressures in the past season. I think that's something else to, to look out, to, out for. One of the things they've been trying to do or you hear on Twitter anyway, is everybody wants the rush linebackers. And the, the problem with the Ravens right now is that they're, they have no depth at Sam. Mm-hmm. And they need a strong side linebacker. Some coverage responsibilities would be would be attributable. And he also needs to eat early down run snaps that will take some of this load off Tyus Bowser. Now they could move away back over there, but I'm really not in favor of that. He's one of the players who did not do well with a multi-position responsibility this last year. And I think if you just leave him on the rush side, let him work with Chuck Smith, improve the get off, improve his compound moves. I think you get to, a, to get a much better performance out of that. Ajabo will split those snaps with him. He'll also kick inside on some on some pass rush downs. JPP was a good choice. I think he, he doesn't give you much in coverage, but he has a, awareness over there, and it stops the run pretty well. I think we saw a, a good player last year. He'd be a fine re-signing if they got him. Houston is a pure um, rush linebacker. So if they have Houston on the roster – along with Owe and Ajabo, you really have kind of too many rush guys. Now, it wouldn't seem that way if they had an injury, but right now it seems like that's, that's, a, uh, that's a lot at once. Uh, and then Tavius Robinson, it's not obvious to me that he'll be anything but a situational pass rusher as a rookie. Uh, so we'll see where he ends up or if it, in camp they try and give him some Sam responsibilities and see how he does with that. Yeah, I think this position group to me seemed like an obvious – there, there needs to be another piece here that isn't on the roster currently to really fill this out. I think it's a great point, Ken. Um, you know, although even on the rush side, I'm, I mean, I know personally, like I'm, I'm pretty excited for Ojabo. I think he showed a little bit of flashes last year. I think I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to having him uh, with a, a, another full off season, uh, healthy to be able to get uh, to his form. I think he was a really exciting player coming out of Michigan that could really do some stuff for us on the on the rush side, but. Um, it's a big question mark, at least on the rush side for sure. But, but yeah, I agree with you. Even even if Bowser is your your main guy on the other side, I mean, you just you really don't have any more names over there. So, um, I, I think for me, this is probably out of all the position groups that we're going to talk about today. I think this is the one I'm worried the most about. I I, I need to look a little bit more into this to see what names are going to be on the market. But um, I would probably imagine that the Ravens bring in somebody closer to training camp or maybe like a a camp cut uh, to be able to get another piece in in this group. I think it's interesting that last year we had what three different guys that could have played Sam but they all like had Achilles problems. I don't know if Beagle is okay in his recovery timeline. I know today reports came out that we're talking to uh, Dewan Smoot uh, potentially Mm -hmm. to come in for a visit and play defensive end for us so uh, he had his injury later in the season, 
So I would think that Beagle might be an option for us if his recovery is going well and they think he's uh, you know, good to go. Smoot played in a 4-3 last year, but he only had a handful of total snaps that were using coverage, uh, 15 or less. Uh, and so, so this is uh, that's they wouldn't depend on him for that, I don't think. Um, no, I, I agree. But uh, yeah, on the other hand, they may they may see something that they say, "Hey, we think we can turn this guy into a Sam." That's always possible. So one of the things about Sam linebackers is you don't know who they are when they come out of college because those guys are too valuable as pass rushers, generally speaking, if they're going to play in the NFL, to be used very much in coverage anyway. And so you end up having to look for traits and having to figure out who could be the guy who would be a good uh, coverage player at the NFL level. And uh, it's just, they are very hard to find. Yeah. And I think uh, Tretz, the the middle linebacker we drafted, he's too late in the pants to play at Sam Simpson. Yeah. Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't see him as an edge rusher, edge rusher at all. They may, they may, you know, you can have him on as a second edge on a side, the way they might put Hamilton or Humphrey or anybody else up there. But I I wouldn't think he'd be trying to beat a tackle one-on-one. Right. I agree. Yeah, I think we can also throw out there as well. I, you know, some people I think are calling for uh, kind of trading for Chase Young. I think the uh, Washington. I don't even remember their name anymore. <laughs> Whatever the <laughs> team from Washington is. Yeah. Oh man. Um, for now, <laughs> since that's they don't yeah, have a copyright, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think that's uh, a little bit of buzz. I think behind that, in terms of. Uh, you know them not being as happy with uh you know his performance and, and some of his injuries i think i think that that's sort of the the big red flag with chase young right now and a couple of people i think are calling for us to make a trade there I, it's intriguing i guess maybe for the potential but honestly knowing i think a lot of people are suggesting maybe to trade patrick queen uh in that trade knowing where queen is right now i'm not really sure if that trade makes a whole lot of sense um you know you're you're taking a gamble for sure and, you know, uh, at this point, I think even though, you know, Queen has also been inconsistent, I feel like he has been trending up. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that move. Be an exchange of one year rentals. So both of them mm-hmm. are on their last year of their rookie deal. And it, it's it's the kind of trade that it could make sense if it makes sense to Washington. I don't know why it would make sense to them because they've got the same issue with re-signing Queen probably moving him back to Mike linebacker if they want to keep him. And it just, it doesn't seem like a particularly exciting thing, but they may have already decided they don't want Chase Young either. So, uh, you know, maybe a case of, of uh, just an exchange of one year rentals. Yeah, true. And then I think at the Ravens side, you'd have to be really confident um, that Simpson would be ready to take over that role for queen. Because again, like we're talking about, we're not, we're expecting this to be queen's last year in Baltimore uh, you still need that position filled uh, for this run. Uh, you know, if you're going for a Super Bowl, and we've seen in the past how um, how having in, an inexperienced player there, or uh, you know, just someone who's not up for the task, can, can really have a cascading effect on the defense. So, I mean, that said, I, I, I do, it's an interesting uh, thought. I actually, I guess, hadn't been in tune with Twitter enough. This is the first I'm hearing of anyone um, floating that, but. Yeah, I I think I kind of agree. I I don't really, I don't see the upside for, for Washington to, um, to even pursue that personally. But you never know, never know. The Washington certainly a, a franchise that has surprised in the past. So who knows? 
I think moving on to the another position group we're looking at here um, is the departure with uh, Clay's Campbell moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, uh, trying to look at who's going to replace him. Now, obviously, I think Calais is a very unique player. One, you know, obviously been around the league a very long time, the most tenured defensive player in the league, I believe, at this point. And, you know, he not only brings a lot of flexibility to the table, I, I think I remember talking to you, Ken, uh, might have been in our show about Calais and his role, but he can play at a number of different spots. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the body type to be able to play snaps on special teams as well. So there's a lot, I think, that he brings to the table. Uh, But that said, you know, this is a position group where right now, at least for the main role that Calais kind of fills, you know, I think that there are some guys here that, you know, I'd feel a little bit comfortable with. Guys like um, Matabuke, Roderick Washington, uh, even Travis Jones kind of stepping up, not in the same position group, but sort of just, you know, elevating their play. Um, in their position to be able to cover for uh, such a big loss here. I've I've got some fairly complex thoughts that that pull together the whole defensive <laughs> line. Should I just go ahead with that if you guys don't mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> so so um, there's a lot of snaps missing from the Ravens' defense with Calais Campbell gone. Compounding that problem is the fact that the Ravens will probably play in total more defensive snaps this season because of Monken's offensive system. So you play a faster-paced offense, you're going to end up playing more defensive snaps as well. 1996 Ravens had a uh, a remarkable no-huddle offense led by Testa Verde, three good wide receivers, Michael Jackson and Derek Alexander. And, um, you know, they could, they could really move the ball down the field very quickly. But the problem was they couldn't put that stress on their defense. At the same time, the defense had – moved from a 4-3 to a 3-4 during the season due to injury, which is about as bad as it gets, guys. The only other team I know from Baltimore ever did that was the 1981 Colts, who are one of the worst defensive teams of all time. That that same situation here for for the Ravens could hit. And the Ravens' starting depth is pretty good. You know, Matabike, Washington, Jones, and Pierce are good players. The problem is if anybody gets hurt, you really go way down. And, um, you know, Brett Urban is, will be available as a fifth off, fifth defensive lineman. I'm assuming he makes a team. I think it's likely. The Angelo Blackson might be the number six guy right now, and that's very weak. So, you know, you'd hope he uh, is, is retained on the practice squad. And the other thing, I guess the only mitigating factor that I see to this is that the Ravens will probably, because they have a decent amount of bodies at outside linebacker and can activate five on a given week when they want to, assuming they sign one more guy, that they will find a way to kick more guys inside. So if I'm looking to fill right around 2.0 snaps per play, that means those four guys have to approximate something, or maybe we call it five guys, have to approximate something like 40% of the snaps each. Urban's going to be substantially below that. He's 20% or there, thereabouts last year. He has had big years in the past, but I don't expect him at this point in his career to come back with more snaps. Matabike played 59% last year. No way in hell should that happen again because he really sh- played not as well when he played a lot of snaps and he played not as well in the second half. Both those things are telling me reduce workload, less is more. Roderick Washington, he could he could maybe play a few more snaps. I think he was at 43% last year, but I wouldn't expect him to go over between somewhere between 45 and 50. So the big guy they're really depending on is the only guy who's signed for 24, which is who is Travis Jones. And I think the key thing for him is 
How do they get him in as something other than a nose tackle? Because if he plays nose only, there aren't enough snaps for him probably to be in there. Uh, for, for, for starters, Michael Pierce also plays nose. But if he, if he plays a, one, a combination of one and three, and he's on the field for a lot of three-tech snaps with Michael Pierce, not only do I think the Ravens would get very good run defense out of that, but I think that, uh, that potentially alleviates a lot of their snap count uh, problems by getting Jones in there for, a, for a many more snaps than, than he otherwise would be in there as just a nose tackle. I completely anticipate that. I think Travis Jones is going to play a lot of three tech this year, not just because of the snap count problem, but I think he has the skill set to do it and, and do yep. it at a, at a high level. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I also think this is a the cool position group because we'll get a lot of tells from preseason. I'm not sure if we'll have an idea of what they're doing with uh, the defense from a secondary perspective from preseason. I guess we'll have some more confidence in slot corner potentially, but I think we're going to be taking a very close look in preseason at who these fifth, sixth, seventh defensive linemen, practice squad guys are, because that is completely up for grabs. And, and knowing how defensive line is with injuries, they're going to get used at some point in the season. Mm-hmm. They always are. So obviously, yeah, losing Calais and not adding anybody, I guess you could almost say you're adding Michael Pierce because he barely played last year. But without adding anybody, it leaves a big hole as far as... Um, how these snaps are going to get distributed. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, also, unfortunately, you adding Michael Pierce is not a guarantee, as we know. Yeah, he's getting up there in age and, and hasn't played terribly many games uh, recently. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with everyone that everyone's saying. Um, it's a big year for Travis Jones uh, to step up here. A great opportunity for him. Um, in some ways, it reminds me of, of 2015 when uh, – the first year without Haloti Nada, Brandon Williams had to come in. Um, and I mean, he, I think he was starting some games in 2014. So it, it, it wasn't as big a jump as Brandon Williams was second year. Jones was a rookie last year, but um, I think there are some parallels there. What you're seeing there, you, you had a guy, obviously Nada was drafted by the Ravens, was here for longer. Um, Campbell, that guy, you know, so it, it's not exactly the same, but um similar in that way a, a young guy if, if not established in the nfl very much at all um having to, to pick up and 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 take that role where there was a hole filled by by an established vet um and brandon williams I, I know that that some fans had issues with with the contract that he was eventually given with his role but i think you know he stepped up and and did what was asked of him um and filled that that role in the way that he could with his skill set so um yeah, great opportunity here for Jones to do do the exact same thing. Yeah, he, he was Brandon Williams is a hell of a player, and it, it was Pierce's rookie year um, when he was a UDFA that he came in and he played most of the nose tackle snaps and moved Brandon Williams to three tech. And so there, a lot of people thought Brandon Williams was still a nose tackle at that time, which was funny because you just got to look at the, <laughs> look at the film a little bit, and he's he's the guy's lined up over center or over the shoulder of the center. Um, but I, I think that that. It was not as easy a transition at, for Williams as I anticipate it will be for Jones. Williams was not that great one-on-one penetrator versus a guard. I really am expecting that for Jones. And I know you you were probably alluding to that earlier when you say you thought he has the skill tech uh, skill set to do that well, right, Alec? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Do we think that this is a position group where – Maybe it does make sense. Um, would there be any options to be able for the Ravens to bring in around training camp? 
the size and shape pool is not as large here as you might hope because you got to be an athlete and you got to be very big. And they have guys, they have UDFAs on the roster currently, Trey Botts and Kaim Caesar and a couple of guys. They may have one more, but those two guys come to mind immediately, uh, who are, are definitely possibilities to either make the team if there's a depth breakdown of any sort or to make the practice squad and be available if there's a depth breakdown later. So, uh, but, but as far as, are, are, is it likely there'll be other players cut? The, the problem is the Ravens are usually deeper at the position and it's usually their practice squad getting poached. So if you're talking about Rashad Nichols or somebody like that still being right, yeah, those guys all could be around to start the season. One of the phenomena I, I talk about on my show once in a while is how the replacement level at all positions, but particularly at the size and shape positions that, that are extreme, degrades significantly over the course of the season. So try and pick up a left tackle at the start of the season. It's very difficult, and you'll, you'll trade a lot for it. Try and pick up a left tackle in December, and you're making all sorts of compromises to do it. Same thing goes if you try and pick up a cornerback. Look at the pool that's left in December. Uh, you know, it's really it, – defensive line is one of the positions. Injuries pile up, and, and you have problems with people missing games, obviously, but you, you – the players that are still available tend to be weaker as the season goes along um, pretty significantly. It does make me wonder, you mentioned that in 24, we don't have anyone outside of uh, Jones on contract. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very interesting that the Ravens made no attempt this season during the draft. I mean, I know they're really going to lean on these UDFAs. I feel like it really increases the importance of a UDFA breaking out because I mean, shoot, they're going to have to spend so much capital or draft pipeline uh, to, to fix this problem next year. They're just completely unprepared. And we've actually seen it for years. Like, we've been saying for years they need to draft more people. And then they, like, got Jones. And we're like, well, that's a, that's a start, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting that we're Gosh. at this spot now. Yeah. Well, particularly because I feel like a few seasons ago, like between like 2016, 2020-ish, we, you know, the discussion was that they got to start drafting other players too. I feel like there was, wasn't wasn't there like a pretty big backlog where we were drafting a a good bit of defensive linemen? I'm trying to, I I have to go through that. Like Chris Wormley was drafted in 2016. I don't have my Ravens draft list up here at present, but I have to go go to it. You'd have um, Kafusi, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, oh, there were a good bit of busts in there too. So, I mean, I think that's another part that we're not, they're not names that come off the tip of the tongue. But yeah, you had Wormley um, and uh, Zach Sealer. Uh, yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Got <laughs> away. Yep. Dylan Mack. Um, oh, yeah. The Mack. Uh, Project Henry. Washington in 2020. Yeah. Willie Henry but, was there earlier. Yeah, Willie Henry's a good one. The 2020, they had they had two draft picks, and they're both pending free agents now is the issue. Yeah. Um, both of them, you know, either of them could be signed to a right price contract, but one of them really has to believe, at least one of them, needs to believe there's some divisible benefit actually on the table. And that's the problem with year three guys. Sometimes they just want to bet on themselves. And uh, I can't blame either Braddock Washington or – Matt Abifke for doing that. And if you think about it, if Travis Jones is going to take some significant three tech snaps this year, either of those guys may say, this isn't the perfect place for me because the, mm-hmm. the you know, it, it, they'll lose three tech snaps. I, Matt Abifke, I think will win from the exchange. He'll, he'll lose early down three tech snaps. He'll gain passing down three tech snaps. His opportunity to get pressures and sacks is going to be higher. And I, I would think that'll be better for him in the long run. He has to play less run defense. 
But the, the Ravens did pass up some opportunities. These have been very lean defensive line years in the draft as a whole. And the, the Ravens passed up some significant players in terms of, of you, you know, making a pick. They took uh, the, the, the fullback, Mason, instead of taking a, a Chris Tonga or some other players who were available in that draft. It was not a great draft of, of um, you know, defensive linemen, but, you know, that was a name you could have had as a backup nose tackle. They, they didn't take Christian Barmore when they had the chance. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, and he was a guy I really liked. I thought, I thought he'd be high on the Ravens radar, but they, they took OA and, um, and, uh, Bateman, Bateman that year. Yeah. yeah. Not, not bad picks. Neither of them, both of them look like they'll be okay. Uh, Christian Barmore looks really good though. It makes me wonder if the Ravens have confidence in their ability to fill that position through free agency. And, uh, like they, they are confident that their dollars spent there can be well spent if that makes sense. Um, like if they spend five million on that position, they get the expected value out of it, and it's always an option there for them. Whereas with the primo positions, they they're like much more interested at trying to get the value out of of a rookie contract, like the wide receiver and an edge rusher. Very good point. I, I I absolutely agree. I think that that they um they probably also feel like they have a better chance with a UDFA player. Uh, on the defensive line as well, kind of like they've mm-hmm. they had an arrogance over their ability to find UDFA linebackers that lasted forever. Yeah, <laughs> not, not not undeserved. It was it was probably correct with you know with McLean and Ellerby and Scott, uh, you know, all producing at a at a very high level. But anyway, they they on the defensive line, yeah, they have they they're a well coached team. I think that's going to be one of the places. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the show, but it, you know, when you can't have, when you don't have cap dollars to spend, how do you do the most you can with the, with the, with what you have? And that might be spending money on position coaches and really getting, getting more value out of the players you have that way uh, when there's just no more cap. Yeah. Spending money on coaches, I think is uh, a big thing. And also um, I was hearing the athletic was doing an article or a show about the uh, spending money on, like health and um, strength training mm-hmm. departments. Yeah. Apparently those are remarkably yeah. lean departments in NFL organizations. And <laughs> um, the teams that are spending more on that now are seeing dividends as far as like player health. Um, apparently the, the Rams had a breakthrough in player health for a couple of years there. And, um, and their guy got like, poached away, I think by the bills, if I recall correctly, or maybe it was the Cowboys. I forget, but they're starting to become a, a little bit of a renaissance in, in the weight room. And, uh, it was also apparently not uncommon. This is like a formal player talking. It's not uncommon to go to a team and like everyone had the same lifting plan, which is something people were complaining about with Saunders. And that's like a little hard to believe that um, these guys aren't more specialized at this point. So that might be the next place that dollars are spent across the league. Like we saw the a wave of analytics hitting the league and everyone was saying, oh, we should invest in an analytics department. We should do something there. It might next be, uh, you know, actually weight room, which is, I, I honestly find stunning wasn't a part of... Uh, like where money was spent on these teams. It's interesting because the technology definitely exists. I had a couple of Brazilian guys on the show talking about um, how you measure heat by muscle group kind of thing. And, and it was, they do it for soccer mm-hmm. and they had some South American soccer teams signed up with them. But I would think if you put people through a standard lifting program or maybe through, through some other regimen to, to test them, you might be able to tell from muscle heat where they're getting where their muscles are getting stressed the most 
and try and build the lifting program to build up those muscle groups maybe that are weaker, if in fact that's what that even means. You know, <laughs> sure. But you, you understand what I'm saying is there probably should be somewhere to test for what muscle groups need to be advanced. Well, they were saying um, in this in the show, I thought it was really interesting, like it's basically asking the players to do one more 10-minute thing that like they're already getting asked to do a lot of different things. And like, where, where are you stealing that time from, quote unquote? But I do think it's, it's incredibly advantageous for all involved. I think players love to be healthy. They love to be able to play more and have availability and give value to play their team longer. so they can not only play, yeah, play longer and also probably earn a better contract uh, from you know, all that. So I think it's a win-win-win for everybody involved. Uh, definitely curious how this will proceed. Yeah. I think uh, maybe flipping over to the offensive side of the ball with Ben Powers leaving, this leaves a gap with left guard. And I honestly think it's interesting the repercussions it has across the whole line because even though we're very worried about left guard now, I think there's a, a reason to have interest in right guard too with Zeitler getting up there in age and maybe wanting a different contract and who knows if we'll be the right people for that. So I think the line this year has a lot of interesting questions to be asked and it's curious to me. I know they have Voorhees in their pocket for next year. But I'm curious if there's going to be anyone in the competition this year for left guard that maybe doesn't win it, almost looking ahead at them being a better option for right guard the year, uh, next year. These guys aren't all around next year. So yeah. Simpson is a fourth-year player, so he'll have to be re-signed. Uh, I guess if things went really well this season, then Simpson and Simpson wins the left guard role, works well with Linderbaum, cuts down on his penalties, which they're, they're ungodly high. Uh, one of the most penalized players in the whole league. But even even if everything went right, um, I think you know he'd have to be extended because he's a fourth-year player currently. Uh, ben Cleveland is a third-year player. Next year, he's a fourth-year player. If they show as little interest in getting him on the field as they did this last year, I don't even think he makes the team in year four. I, I, you know, I, I don't know why he would if uh, you know, you're at that point. Follow Lele's development excuse me, developmental player and still a developmental player led the team in sacks allowed in a very small number of sacks of snaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that doesn't look good. Uh, Sala, uh, the new guy, the sixth round pick, they seem to have um, a belief in him. They're, they're at least trying him there. And I think you know, the other player that, that has been mentioned is, is Patrick McCary. But if you, if you put him in the role at left guard, then you won't have him at left tackle when you need him. And McCary, there's no other backup at left tackle currently. The only other guy on the, who might be a backup at left tackle, and I haven't heard it said yet, but the guy has the proper size and length for it, is Simpson. And I don't know how bad he is. I haven't really seen him. I, I really am interested to see him, you know, getting to see him move a little bit. But he definitely has the length to play left tackle. And it might be possible that's one of the reasons why the Ravens like him. And if so, then you know he could, he could win the left guard job and still be ready to play left tackle uh, as the need arises. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be a very interesting position group to watch during the preseason. Um, I, I think the, the number one thing I'm taking away from what you're saying, Ken, and, and I kind of agree with it too, is there's not really anyone pencil in at the moment. Um, if, I, if I'm taking what you're saying correctly, as far as like the week one starter at the position. Yep. Yeah. Um, which is not a, a situation that is, you know, foreign to us. Right. I think 
Um, I mean, 2019 is sticking out in my mind, right? Well, that was uh, Bozeman won the job, I think, um, before shifting to center in 2020. And there was a lot of discussion as to um, during the preseason who was going to take that. Um, he ran away with it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I I don't even know who to really focus in and say like this guy is is the guy we could see break out. Um, I am slightly interested to see what happens with Cleveland this offseason because I, I do agree with what you're saying. You know, he hasn't been a big part of the Ravens' plans um, in his first two seasons in the league. That said, it would hardly be the first time we've seen one of these offensive linemen drafted, you know, in the middle of the draft uh, that we hardly see at all, and then they just come out of nowhere and they're playing a lot of snaps and, and they price themselves yeah. out of I mean. Ben Powers, the, the exact guy that we're, we're talking about replacing before last season, how much, you know, we didn't see terribly much of Ben Powers at all. So I, it is a question that I wanted to, to pose to you about Cleveland, because um, I know that, that you study the offensive line more than anyone on this call right now. Are there traits in Cleveland, from your perspective, that could lead him to be, um, you know, a, a Ben Powers, Ryan Jensen esque player, one of these guys that gets unlocked in year three or four after really not showing very much at all in their first couple of years in Baltimore. I, I think it's certainly possible. He, he's an enormous man. Um, one of the things w- will be just what kind of shape is he in in camp? And and I've heard it's a lot better. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, next week getting to see it, and uh, hopefully it's a. <laughs> Uh, it's a big change in body type because the Ravens have uh, need him to be in shape. You know, we had two out of shape players. Michael Pierce was able to come back from being out of shape and and play during the season, and Ben Cleveland, who came to the roster and the Ravens actually almost poked fun at his weight on their roster list, you know, moving up from three thirty five to three seventy. So that's that's not a good sign. I'll say this: Cleveland was a good. Uh, inside-out pass blocker in college, definitely a better pass blocker than a run blocker. Um, and it might be that that he'd be um, an ideal pairing with Linderbaum at center. And the Ravens are facing a compound problem there that I wanted to find. It's similar to the defensive line problem that you're losing a guy and you have more snaps to cover. They're losing a guy in Ben Powers who was one of the very best pass blockers in the entire league at left guard. And they're they're um, picking up uh, uh, whoever they put in that spot is not going to be as good a, a pass blocker almost certainly, but also there's going to be more total pass blocking snaps, and so the Ravens are are, are going to have to face more a gap bombing uh, from stunts from blitzes uh, that will challenge the combination of Linderbaum and whoever. So let's say it's Simpson for a second. Um, length issues are going to give any kind of length, uh, sorry, uh, across the face um, of the guard play on stunts are going to give Linderbaum the worst problems because the player doing so will hit him on one shoulder with length. And it's not something he has an easy counter for. Uh, we hope he develops better ways to do it, but I'm, I'm very concerned about, about a, a new left guard really incenting opposing defensive coordinators to go after that left a gap um, as the Ravens primary weakness. Cause it's otherwise a very continuous line. 
yeah, in some ways, this position group feels a lot different, uh, almost kind of like corner where in the years past, it, it almost felt like there was always uh, a pool of fourth round picks or undrafted guys uh, who had shown enough or there was enough excitement for uh, that they could step into that role. I mean, we've had all, pretty much all of our left guard centers that have left for other teams. I think we're all kind of in that boat. I feel like if I had to put a number on it right now, I feel like Simpson would probably be the guy. I, I could see McCary in there as well, but I, I agree. I think he's, I mean, he's the problem here is he's the, he's the James Hurst of this team. It's, he's not the penciled in starter, but he's good enough at a lot of positions that you really don't want to lose that insurance for any of the position groups. But if we're looking at a guy who, you know, if we're looking at getting the best five guys out there, while still having some sort of insurance behind, maybe McCarry's it. I I really hope not. But I, I guess if the it, I I feel like if the Ravens are really desperate, I think McCarry starts. But if they feel comfortable with someone else, I think that's probably the way that they're going to go. I think that's probably a good call there. And and there is McCarry is a smallish offensive lineman, mm-hmm. and and you know putting him next to Linderbaum is not the way I would do it. I'd want an, one of the Enormo, and the, and all of the rest of them are basically huge. Falele and Cleveland are two of the biggest men in the entire NFL. Salah is way up there in term in terms of size. Simpson is a you know six four three twenty one, built exactly as you draw a guard up on the board, uh, with with plenty of length to to go with that as well. Uh, the question with most of those guys is feet, and and how are they going to be okay in there? The question with Simpson also is penalties. But with McCarry, you, you, you introduce a size issue. And the Ravens haven't had a left guard center combination who had a real size problem since Gradkowski and A.Q. Shipley. And that did not go well in 2013. No. That was a very no. bad group. No. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because Shipley went off and had a decent career with the Cardinals. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to say he might have played almost a decade in the league as it, as it turned out. It was remarkable, but he but he, <laughs> he played a long time in the league. I'll look it up here. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. Well, wasn't he came from the Colts? I think before he came to Baltimore, right? I think that's right. Uh, yeah, he played. He played. Looks like nine seasons. He might have been hurt for one in there somewhere, like 2018. One year with Indianapolis, one year Baltimore, another year Indianapolis, and then four years at Arizona, another year at Tampa, and and he played a hundred. AQ Shipley played 110 NFL games and started 72. Wow. Is that incredible? <laughs> what? Yeah. I think the thing that gets me yeah. about this left guard problem that the Ravens have is, like we were saying earlier, there's always a little bit more confidence going into the season, I think, where these players had a whole year. Like, I mean, Powers, he, he started 12 out of 13 games that he played in in 21. So he had decent availability, and he showed a little bit. I thought I do remember, though, Harold talking this time last year that he might get traded. You know, like we thought like that. And then it was kind of crazy how well he ascended. I would say maybe the closest comp is Simpson because he has actually started games for the Raiders before he came over. But like you said, he uh, I think he was a lot more questionable than Powers was at that point in his career. So you're looking at this very full of question, not very proven group of of players. And I I, I honestly I didn't even bring up Falele for this position because I think it's absolutely like not happening. It doesn't really make much sense to me at all. And the thing with McCarry that I think is super interesting that Chris made me think about is if it happens week one, it's total desperation and a very, very bad sign about all the depth, in my opinion. 
if it happens in the playoffs, that's spicy. That's interesting to me. What if they get decent play, but not great play? And in the playoffs, they think that McCarry is their best option. That I could see happening um, <laughs> because you could still like pivot, you know, have him switch around if an injury were to happen. But like, I could honestly see a, uh, you know, 2012 esque line shifteroo if uh, none of these players emerge uh, and then playoff time comes. Yep, that would be that would be very similar. The 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 three way switch is something the Ravens are so uncomfortable doing by their actions for all these years is making multiple switches to cover for one change, which is one of the reasons why you know you don't want to have McCarry out there playing left guard if you then have to switch your left guard to play left tackle and then move in and move in <laughs> another left guard. It's better to have a one for one change available, you know, off off to the side. It hasn't always matter, mattered that way with Marshall Yanda, but it's mattered for a, for a lot of other lesser players. And I just I think it makes more sense to have a, a, just a quality sixth man uh, available there, or or a quality six, seven, and eight who can fill in <laughs> at three different positions if that's what you really want. Um, but it's it, it's uh, you know they, they're they're going to have to play the hand they have right now because I don't think they're going to be able to pick up a lineman who's significantly better than Simpson, Cleveland, McCary say to come in and fill a spot. I just, I don't, I, I, to, to, to get that kind of a player, if there's still a free agent out there um, would, would be a lot to trade for that kind of a player would require a talent surplus somewhere else that isn't obvious where they would get it other than maybe Patrick queen, if you want to trade him. But I don't. I, I really don't see how they how they would uh, uh, get another good offensive lineman at this point. So the cards they're dealt. Yeah, I, I am definitely in agreement with what they are. What we see right now is is likely what it's going to be. And you know, I, I think the track record of the Ravens speaks for itself. I think that someone in this group is going to surprise. The question will really just be, you know, what's the full uh, value you're going to get, and and how much will that help the the unit as a whole? But yeah, definitely one of the big position groups to watch this preseason uh, for certain. Last question I have before we switch to the last player uh, is what are our percent chances that this problem is determined slash solved in the preseason and there's not a rotation week one? Okay, by injury or something you're saying? By either injury or... or um... I, guess, I, I guess injury would be an interesting way for that to be solved. But I guess what I'm saying is to simplify it, do we think week one there's going to be a rotation? Odds on that. I would say there's a. I think there's like a sixty percent chance there's a rotation week one. Yeah. Like better. I think there's a higher chance of it than not at this point that there's going to be a rotation because I mean even in preseason we might not find out. I will say though, last year was a big tell. They didn't play powers at all, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that was uh, the tell that he was the guy. So if they do something like that again this year, I highly doubt it. But if they did. That would be a, a big tell for me, but um, I anticipate them all getting play and then trying to figure it out until the last minute and, and even overloading into the season to try to yeah. see. And I mean, honestly, there's no better game to do it than Houston. You know, you got the Houston Texans week one, you can do some experimentation and then lock it in for week two because then you got a doozy with the, the Bengals. I think it's a good bet. I think it's a very good bet. And they've, they've done that at both tackle spots. They've done it at, at guard. They've just there. There have been a number of times they've done it over the over the years. They've even done it at cornerback a couple of different times. So, um, you know, it's definitely a possibility. 
Yeah, and I, and I think, like you just said, with the first week being Houston, obviously the games need to be played. Um, I don't want to overlook an opponent, but I think there's a pretty high chance that you'll, that, that functions as an additional preseason game where they're able to, maybe not just at that position, you know. <laughs> Look again, like I said, I, I don't want us to overlook an opponent, but I mean, like, there's a great. <laughs> but you chance just called it like an 20... additional preseason game. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's, yeah. on this, <laughs> he's on this for many years in a row, and he's not usually yeah, wrong. This, <laughs> the first, the first game, we usually trounce an opponent, and uh, <laughs> well, this yeah. goes all the way back to uh, all the way back to, to 2019. We started the podcast. Our very first time that we um, did a game preview was for that Miami game, and and I I made the the joke that this was essentially going to be an additional preseason game for the Ravens, and and luckily I didn't get egg in my face it did turn out as we know that huge blowout but um i mean yeah i i think in a game where you're expected to win by a lot you have you're gonna have opportunities to to sub more guys in give some guys extra playing time because you know margin for error is less good bet who if if you guys had to handicap it right now and let's say that the possibilities are simpson sala cleveland and field we'll call it those are the those are the four. So it could could be field could include McCary or or uh, uh, Falele or or anybody else who we don't know about yet. Give me percentages for those four. Sorry, I don't mean to take you off track, guys. But you're sure. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I write it down. What you're doing. I love it. Like 30, 30, 30 and then Sal would be like fifteen, and then whatever the remainder is for the miscellaneous twenty-five for field. Yeah. Okay, say say that again. You've got thir- you've got Salah at thirty. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've have, I've have Simpson and Cleveland probably about the same at thirty. Okay. Uh, Salah would be like fifteen, and then Field would be twenty five. Okay, right? Field twenty five. Um, okay. I have a I have a different take. Go Minus thirty one, Salah, thirty Simpson, twenty nine Cleveland, <laughs> and then ten percent Field. <laughs> wow. I, okay. I, I legitimately think it's gonna be any man's position and i have a hunch that they have like like ken was saying i think they have a little crush on sala and they haven't been burned by him yet so he's higher than cleveland but cleveland i think has better raw traits so and then and then simpson's just this, this unknown free agent guy i mean not totally unknown but you know what i mean just like knew the system okay we got one to go here who is it one to go oh man I, I am too tired to do do the percentages <laughs> on the spot, but um, you guys are all tech guys. I'm, so yeah, I know you can do this, Peter. I believe in you, <laughs> dude. If I don't want to talk about today, it, my brain is is, is a chart chart after after this week, man. But <laughs> I will say I I am my hunch is and, and this this might be a little bit of a different take. I think it's going to be between. Uh, Cleveland and McCary. I think they'll fall back on McCary if they're just because of um, his experience there and having a vet guy there. They already know what he can do um, in that position. Uh, Cleveland, I, I think that the raw traits are really um, enticing for the organization, particularly um, what he can do in, in the run game. We know that they love that. Um, and they just have such a good track record of of developing these guys that, that they draft in these in mid rounds. And like I said, you know, these guys, uh, just they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing. And then all of a sudden they go in, um, in year three or four and they're vastly improved and, and they're pricing themselves out of Baltimore. I'm not saying that's a guarantee with Cleveland at all. 
Um, I don't know enough about the offensive guard position to, to say that's even likely, but um, I just think, you know, they know they've been drafting these, these guys in this position for a while. They know what traits they like. I'd imagine that, that they, it, when they drafted Cleveland, they thought that he could be a guy who could fit that mold. So um, yeah, I, I think I'd put a slight edge to Cleveland for that. And then I think they'd fall back on, on McCary if, if he doesn't pan out just due to, um, his experience and having continuity um, with those guys who are out there. Yeah, I like hearing you reason through it, but I didn't hear four numbers that I was looking for. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't have to. I, I, 51, do- 40, 51, 51. Wait, what? <laughs> That's 102. <laughs> yeah, he's just proving the math's not his game right now. <laughs> uh, 50, 49, 1. There you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I'll say I'll say Simpson Sala Cleveland Field 40 30 20 10. So I think Simpson is the favorite right now. Um, I know a lot of other people don't think that, but one of the things you know, and the about the only reason that I really think that this problem will be overcome is the Ravens have a tremendous track record of developing and also rehabilitating offensive linemen. And if if anyone can fix the, the problem Simpson had is it's the Ravens. And, and I believe he was in a terrible situation with the Raiders of they didn't really know and maybe didn't even care to fix him uh, mm-hmm. there. Or they probably cared, but they didn't know how uh, is, would, would be the more likely. John Simpson, 1,545 career snaps in Oakland over three years. It's, it's a little less than a season and a half. 17 penalties. Okay, and then you look at the penalties and you say, well, okay, this, if it's all a bunch of false starts, it's a cost of doing business, whatever. Two false starts, 13 holding penalties, and two personal fouls. Does not get much worse than that because that means there were 15 of the 17 fouls where the um, defensive team was granted an option on the play or not. And he did have several decline penalties as well, which are effectively all drive stallers. So, uh, very, very, very bad track record for Cleveland. Hopefully they can clean that up. So the last position uh, I guess we want to talk about is wide receiver, but specifically Devin Duvernay. We saw him sp- spend a lot of time in more gadget role on this offense, provide a little bit as a wide receiver early on this season before uh, it seemed like an injury really stole the rest of his productivity for the rest of the year. The question I think we're kind of alluding to is, a, how much gadget stuff will there really be room for in Munkin's offense? B, how often will a guy like Duvernay or Aguilar be able to break into the quote-unquote big three of uh, Bateman, Odell, and Flowers for snaps? Uh, you know, assuming health, I'm, I'm curious to see your thoughts on how these uh, fourth and fifth wide receivers are going to get deployed in this offense going forward. And... Um, yeah, let's take it from there. Well, starting starting with with the starting the season and the health comment, I think Bateman's not going to be ready to go for a, at probably not at all for week one, but definitely not for a full workload from week one. So I think we're going to see other other players. I don't really know at this point whether it's Beckham or Aguilar. Neither of them is is an ideal X receiver, um, but either of them could be cast into that role. Uh, because there just isn't really anybody else. I think Zay is a Z. I, I think he he stays over there. It's, it's that's nice for memorization purposes. That's that's fairly easy. <laughs> but but he, he's a, a 
you know, he's a player that they really want to take the top off the defense. I think they want him to get a clean release off the line of scrimmage as much as he can. The Z receiver typically plays off the line of scrimmage, so it's the ideal spot to have him doing that. Um, and and it also leaves you open to use his gadgety goodness for um, uh, motion plays because you have to be off the line of scrimmage to go in motion. You can't be on the line of scrimmage. I, I know you guys know that. I just yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah, for, sure. for, for you guys out there. But, <laughs> but but it's it's something that that I think that um, the team doesn't really know what their fix is right now. I mean, it could be Tylen Wallace might be the best X on the field that they they have currently, and and uh, he might start the season active and 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 playing some. I mean, Duvernay's not an X by by any stretch. He's a he's also a Z. And I think he's a guy that we, we may see lined up all over this year because he's, he's obviously going to get reduced snaps with Zay out there taking his primary position. I, I, he's not the route runner. Um, but, okay, Zay's not that great a route runner, but Zay's a very sudden athlete who um, loses people with his, his suddenness as opposed to throwing leverage at them that they read incorrectly and then making a move off it. I think that, that um, Duvernay is much more valuable to the Ravens as a gadget player. And if, if Munkin is serious about continuing to stretch the field horizontally, I think he'll, he'll be used in that role. Number of places, line up in the backfield, motion, Z, wherever. Yeah, I was going to say from, from my side, I feel like on, on one hand, I kind of like having more people in front of Duvernay because I felt that you know, he never kind of broke out as the guy who you'd want on the, you know, first corner, second corner, even third corner. You kind of want to try to line him up on a linebacker um, or, you know, one of the depth pieces, be able to make uh, some plays from, from that matchup. So, you know, moving him down the depth chart a little bit, you can still find opportunities for that in certain packages. It just won't increase his snap count. Um, it might stay the same. It might decrease um, probably decrease assuming assuming everybody else is healthy um, but uh, you know I think the benefit basically is just the offensive coordinator right I think we at this point I think I'm more confidence in Munkin to be able to scheme up plays for players um, rather than Roman uh, well I, you know scheme up plays for wide receivers I guess it's to say <laughs> not running backs but um, but but you get my point so um, I I think it'll be good. Um, obviously, I think some of the guys behind, like, you know, Prochet we talked about, I, it, it's going to be a big stretch for him. He could barely see the field, even with Roman. I, it's going to be really hard to get him on the field. Wallace, I feel like I'd probably say the same. Um, but I, I do think for what it's worth, uh, the first six weeks or so, we're I feel like we're really not going to know who's healthy. Um, even, even Odell, like, yeah, he's had a lot of time off, but, you know, is he really ready? Um, still a little bit of a question mark. So there will be some opportunities early, I think. But over the season, I would probably not expect too much of a jump from him unless it was very situational. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I you know, Wallace is the guy who who might really get some unexpected playing time out of the early health issues. Um. I don't think Prochet is going to make the team as a fourth-year player. It just doesn't make sense to me. His option value is running out. He had a terrible year last year. Uh, he did have a pretty good year two years ago. So, you know, even if the truth is somewhere in between those two numbers, um, I'm a little I'm, – I'm, I'm skeptical that the Ravens will find a way to be able to, to, to keep him on the field. I think it's much more likely that they like Wallace for a special teams play. 
and uh, we'll bring him back instead. Yeah, that's a good point as far as Wallace and special teams. I'd, I'd be absolutely stunned in his development if he's able to find his way on the field, though. I think they'd be much more comfortable using Odell as the X um, instead. I mean, it's just a better player, I feel like, at this point, unless, unless Wallace has had an incredible growth. Um, that's my anticipation. And also, I wouldn't be stunned to see Zay take some of those snaps, too. Um, obviously, I think he will fit better as a Z uh, long term, but... I definitely could see um, see him taking some position or some snaps there as well. You expose him to press coverage if you do that. I'm not saying oh, yeah. that, that all, all other teams are going to be willing to do that, but you certainly expose him to that. So it's much harder to get a free release for a smaller player like that. Yeah. Um, not that he can't do it. It's just it, it would be a, a challenge. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it will definitely be a challenge for him. I think that is my anticipation for him. Like if we're, if we're doing a... a a good and great season for him next year would be that he can take on that responsibility some because that is how you really make your hay in the, and as a first round receiver, in my opinion, you know, you, he can still be dynamic, uh, as long because he's going to be on the field, no matter what, you know what I mean? From a second wide receiver perspective, but I think you really need to see some of that ability to take on X snaps. I mean, even Prochet's played, uh, <laughs> some X snaps in the mm-hmm. past. So I think he definitely could do it. Yeah. I think going back to Duvernay though, um, the bottom line is I think we are definitely going to see him get utilized in this offense. You know, uh, Ken, as you're mentioning, Bateman um, is probably going to need to be eased in um, because of the injury he's coming off of. Uh, Odell, we'll see how healthy he is. Um, I'm not sure the last year that he played a a full season. Uh, He's obviously had some injury concerns in recent years, um, not getting younger. Aguilar, I think, is interesting because, I mean, you look back at him, he's actually been incredibly, has incredible availability for his career. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, Zay Flowers, he's a rookie. He could obviously come in here and light it up. He uh, he could also have some struggles coming into the NFL. You know, we we saw even with with Bateman when he did come in. Now, I know he was coming off an injury, so he was a little, you know, he had to come up to speed with that. But, you know, he, he had some games where he was good and other games where disappeared a bit. Some of that was due to quarterback uh, situation too late in that year with injury. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do think that Duvernay will find snaps on the field. I, I think that Munkin with, with what he brings to the table is going to have some interesting ways that he wants to utilize him. But yeah, I, I think if you look at it, he's probably going to be fourth or fifth on the team as far as targets are concerned in ideal situation as far as, as the stats are concerned. But yeah, I mean, it'll certainly be interesting to see where, where he's at. It's, it's, it's really hard to pin down exactly what he's going to be. And I think this is, you know, we didn't really lead in with this, but what what we went to end this um, on is looking at skill positions and, uh, you know, while not really much turnover here, what you do have turnover is the offensive coordinator. And of all the players on this offense, you know, we were talking before the show, Devin Duvernay is really the most interesting as far as how is he going to fit into this new new offense because, you know, there's a lot of ways we, we, we wanted Greg Roman to utilize him that, you know, at, at times it felt like were we really getting the most out of him. And, you know, now he's got new life with a new offensive coordinator. Can he bring out some more of his game um, that maybe was underutilized there? So... I think another guy that's going to be really interesting to see early in the season, how is he getting uh, 
mixed into the offense. I'm looking forward to it. One of the things that we're not giving Duvernay enough credit for, I don't feel we are, is just how good his hands are. Uh, he's got by mm-hmm. far the best uh, hands on the Ravens team. The Ravens, one of their things with wide receivers, they've got a whole bunch of developmental things that have not worked out wide receivers and, and a whole bunch of um, free agent picking that seems to ignore certain traits. But one of the, one of the big ones is hands. Um, you know, occasionally they've gotten lucky and they've gotten a, gotten a receiver who has really good hands like a, like a Bolden. But uh, generally speaking, they, they don't seem to care about drop rate in the receivers. Got. Nelson Aguilar is one of the worst droppers in recent times in the NFL. <laughs> and it really cuts into his, his completion percentage. And they have Duvernay, and he's, he was, had exceptionally good hands last year. Uh, and they've had other guys, uh, the guy who comes to mind, uh, Moore, Chris Moore, who had a really good catch rate season. I think he might have been 20 of 25 or thereabouts um, one of the seasons uh, a few years ago. Um, but then every Ravens receiver otherwise, including likely, is a high drop rate guy. And that's very scary to put all that together. It, you know, it probably cuts into what Lamar is able to do. Uh, just based on the total number of drops, but but Odell Beckham is higher than the league average, and uh, likely is the second highest of tight ends. Aguilar was the second worst of wide receivers last year. Who am I? Who am I missing here? Bateman, you know, huge problems coming out of school with drops. Uh, it was it was really the the one red X on his report card coming out of school. Um, so they they have a lot of problems with uh, with players who drop the football. All right, I guess with that we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks so much, Ken, for coming on. Uh, let everyone know about your show. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Always fun to talk football with you. And, and uh, you guys have always been regulars on my show, and I, I really appreciate all the contributions you've made to it. I'm at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. Um, the show uh, is available on filmstudybaltimore.com. If you're an older guy and you just want to hit play on a thing and watch it from your laptop, <laughs> damn it, your desktop, not your laptop. <laughs> and you, you know, if that's what you want, you can, you can do that. And if, if you know an old guy, who maybe doesn't even know how to do that, go show him how to watch film study right off his laptop and on right directly off the website. But for the rest of you people who do podcasts, and that's unfortunately not me yet, um, download uh, from Apple, Spotify, or any of them, and you'll be able to uh, find it. It's on all the major apps. And Ken, are you on uh, Threads yet? I am not yet on Threads. How many? Do you already picked up 5,000 followers on Threads? (laughs) No, we have like three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it hasn't been, uh, business is not booming on Threads yet. But uh, yeah, we're posting on threads now too. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens with Twitter. I got to do it. Now you guys are <laughs> tech guys. What's the, what is the long-term future of Twitter versus threads? I, I mean, oh, I man, we could have a whole nother podcast on this. I feel we yeah, had a pretty yeah. long discussion about this after our last recording. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you know, it's a, it's a lost love for me at this point. I, I, I loved Twitter and now I'm barely ever on it. And I mean, it's just, it, the business wise, it's not very viable at the moment. Uh, I think the the beauty that Instagram ads are incredibly good. I mean, Facebook meta, their ads are remarkably good. Uh, something that Twitter never really quite solved. So I think that they'll be able to better monetize their users um, than Twitter was. And, and Twitter's still failing at it, right? So I, I think, uh, I do think that it, there's a decent chance that threads uh, is, is picks up and becomes the thing. Um, Remarkable how many users they have, uh, the social graph. The best part I love about it is they literally, Instagram was made years ago and you found your friends by importing your Twitter list. 
now <laughs> all those contacts are becoming their threads lists years later right so um yeah kind of interesting the the circle of life of tech but um yeah uh, we'll see but yeah that might i i thought that the mastodon had a, a, a chance and now i'm feeling like a, a, you know the nerds move but that was yeah. about it so <laughs> and my counter to all that is is i i question if threads offers enough to make a a paradigm shift to actually um completely take down twitter but i mean everything you're saying like i i'd understand that you know there there's certainly some some things that threads has going for it that if it does pick up steam with the masses certainly um it could be the one but i i just question society as a whole <laughs> making that that mass uh oh yeah migration from something as established as that for sure before we uh, dabble in uh, ex- the accidental tech side of uh, <laughs> One Winning Pod, we'll wrap up. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and threads at One Winning Pod. Email us, onewinningpod at gmail.com. And we'll be back soon with more Raven stuff as uh, Train Camp unfolds. Go Ravens. <laughs>